Chapter 7, Part 3 of The Life of David Brainerd by John Stiles. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 7, Part 3. 26th. This evening I was visited by a person under great spiritual exercise. She was a woman of more than fourscore years old, and appeared to be much broken and very childish through age, so that it seemed impossible for man to instill into her mind any notion of divine things. She was led by the hand into my house and appeared in extreme anguish. I asked what ailed her. She answered that her heart was distressed and she feared she should never find Christ. I asked when she began to be concerned. She answered to this effect that she had heard me preach many times but never felt in her heart until the last Sabbath. And then it came, she said, all one as if a needle had been thrust into her heart since which time she had no rest day or night. She added that on the evening before Christmas, a number of Indians being together at the house where she was, and discoursing about Christ, their talk pricked her heart so that she could not sit up, but fell down on her bed, at which time she went away, as she expressed it, and felt as if she dreamed, and yet is confident she did not dream. When she was thus gone, she saw two paths. One appeared very broad and crooked, and that turned to the left hand. The other appeared straight and very narrow, and that went up the hill to the right hand. She traveled, she said, for some time up the narrow right-hand path, till at length something seemed to obstruct her journey. She sometimes called it darkness, and sometimes seemed to compare it to a block or bar. She then remembered, she says, what she had heard me say about striving to enter in at the straight gate, although she took little notice of it at the time, and thought she would climb over this bar. But just as she was thinking of this, she came back again, as she termed it, meaning that she came to herself, whereupon her soul was extremely distressed, apprehending she had now turned back and forsaken Christ, and that there was therefore no hope of mercy for her. I then proposed to her the provision made in the gospel for the salvation of sinners, and the ability and willingness of Christ to save to the uttermost all, old as well as young, that come to him to which she seemed to give a hearty assent, but instantly replied, I, but I cannot come. My wicked heart will not come to Christ. I do not know how to come. And this she spoke in anguish of spirit, striking her breast with tears in her eyes and with such earnestness in her looks as was indeed affecting. She seemed to be really convinced of her sin and misery and her need of a change of heart and her concern is abiding and constant so that nothing appears but that this exercise may have a saving issue. And indeed, there is ground to hope for it, seeing she is solicitous to obtain an interest in Christ, that her heart, as she expresses it, prays day and night. December 28th. I discoursed to my people in the catechetical method I lately entered upon, and in the improvement of my discourse, wherein I was comparing man's present with his primitive state, and pressing sinners to take a view of their deplorable circumstances without Christ, as also to strive that they may obtain an interest in him, the Lord granted a remarkable influence of his blessed spirit, and there was a great concern in the assembly. Many were melted into tears, and the impressions made upon them seemed deep and heart-affecting. And in particular there were two or three persons who appeared to be reduced almost to extremity, being convinced of the impossibility of helping themselves or mending their own hearts, and upon the point of giving up all hope in themselves, and venturing upon Christ as naked, helpless, and undone. Lord's Day, December 29th. I preached from John chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. A number of white people were present, as is usual on the Sabbath. The discourse seemed to have a silent but deep and piercing influence upon the audience. Many wept and sobbed affectionately. And there were some tears among the white people as well as the Indians. Some could not refrain from crying out. But the impressions made upon their hearts appeared chiefly by the extraordinary earnestness of their attention and their heavy sighs and tears. After public service was over, I went to my house, proposing to preach again after a short intermission. But they soon came in, one after another, with tears in their eyes to know what they should do to be saved and the Divine Spirit in such a manner set home upon their hearts what I spoke to them, that the house was soon filled with cries and groans. They all flocked together upon this occasion, and those whom I had reason to think in a Christless state 
were almost universally seized with concern for their souls. It was an amazing season of power among them, and it seemed as if God had bowed the heavens and come down. So astonishing prevalent was the operation upon old as well as young, that it seemed as if God was about to convert all the world. And I was ready to think then that I should never again despair of the conversion of any man or woman living. It is impossible to give a just description of the appearance of things this season. A number were rejoicing that God had not taken away the influence of his blessed spirit. Refreshed to see so many striving to enter in at the straight gate, and animated with such concern for them that they wanted to push them forward, as some of them expressed it. At the same time, numbers, both of men and women, old and young, might be seen in tears, and some in anguish of spirit, appearing in their countenances like condemned malefactors, going towards the place of execution, so that there seemed a lively emblem of the solemn day of accounts, a mixture of heaven and hell, of joy unspeakable, and anguish inexpressible. The concern was such that I could not pretend to have any formal religious exercises among them, but spent the time in discoursing to one and another, sometimes all together, and concluded with prayer. Such were their circumstances that I could scarce have half an hour's rest from speaking, from about half an hour before twelve o'clock, at which time I began public worship, until past seven at night. December 30th. I was visited by four or five young persons under concern for their souls, most of whom were very lately awakened. They wept much while I discoursed to them and endeavored to press upon them the necessity of flying to Christ without delay for salvation. 31st. I spent some hours this day in visiting my people from house to house, and scarce left a house without leaving some or other of its inhabitants in tears, solicitously engaged to obtain an interest in Christ. The Indians are now gathered together from all quarters to this place and have built them little cottages so that more than 20 families live within a quarter of a mile of me. A very convenient situation in regard of both public and private instruction. January 1st, 1745. I am this day beginning a new year and God has carried me through numerous trials and labors in the past. He has amazingly supported my feeble frame. For having obtained help of God, I continue to this day. Oh, that I might live nearer to God this year than I did the last. The business that I have been enabled to go through I know has been as great as nature could bear up under, and what would have sunk me quite without special support. But alas, though I have done the labors and endured the trials, with what spirit have I done the one and borne the other? How cold has my heart often been, and how little have I eyed the glory of God? I have found that I could have no peace without filling up all my time with labors, and thus necessity has been laid upon me. Yea, in that respect I have loved to labor, but I could not sensibly labor for God as I would have done. May I, for the future, be enabled more sensibly to make the glory of God my all. This day I spent some considerable time in visiting my people again, and found scarce one but what was under some serious impressions. Second, I visited some persons newly come along us who had scarce ever heard anything of Christianity but the name. I endeavored to instruct them in the first principles of religion in the most easy and familiar manner I could. There are strangers almost continually dropping in so that I have occasion repeatedly to open and inculcate the first principles of Christianity. Near night I proposed to have proceeded in my usual method of catechizing. But while we were engaged in the first prayer, the power of God came upon the assembly in so remarkable a manner, and so many appeared under present concern, that I thought it much more expedient to insist upon the plentiful provision made for the redemption of perishing sinners, and to press them to a speedy acceptance of the great salvation, than to ask them questions about doctrinal points. I baptized two persons this day, one adult and one child. The woman has discovered an heavenly frame of mind from her first reception of comfort. One morning in particular, she came to see me, discovering an unusual joy in her countenance, and when I inquired the reason of it, she replied that God had made her feel that it was right for him to do as he pleased with all things. She moreover inquired whether I was not sent to preach to the Indians by some good people a great way off. I replied, yes, by the good people in Scotland. She answered that her heart loved those good people so, the evening before, that she could scarce help praying for them all night, 
Her heart would go to God for them. January 8th. My heart was drawn out after God. My soul was refreshed and quickened. I had great hopes of the ingathering of precious souls to Christ, not only among my own people, but others also. I was sweetly resigned and composed under my bodily weakness, and was willing to live or die, and desirous to labor for God to the utmost of my strength. January 10th. My soul was in a calm, composed frame, and filled with love to all the world. Christian simplicity and tenderness seemed to prevail and reign with me. Nearer night I visited a serious Baptist minister, and had some agreeable conversation with him. 13th. I was visited by diverse persons under deep concern, one of whom was newly awakened. It is a most agreeable work to treat with souls who are solicitously inquiring what they should do to be saved. And as we are never to be weary in well-doing, so the obligation is peculiarly strong when the work is so lively. And yet my health is so much impaired, and my spirits so wasted with my labors, and solitary manner of living, there being no human creature in the house with me, that their repeated and almost incessant applications to me for help and direction are sometimes exceedingly burdensome. And what contributes much toward this difficulty is that I am obliged to spend much time in communicating a little matter to them, there being often many things necessary to be premised, before I can speak directly to what I principally aim at, which things would readily be taken for granted where there was a competency of knowledge. Lord's Day, January 19th. I catechized in my ordinary method. Numbers were much affected. Convictions powerfully revived. Diverse of the Christians refreshed and strengthened, and one weary, heavy-laden soul, I have reason to hope, was brought to true rest and solid comfort in Christ. He told me he had often heard me say that persons must see and feel themselves helpless and undone, that they must give up all hope of saving themselves by their own doings in order to their coming to Christ for salvation. And he had long been striving after this, supposing that this would be an excellent frame of mind, that God would have respect to this frame and bestow eternal life upon him. But when he came to feel himself in this helpless, undone condition, he found it quite contrary to all his thoughts, so that it was not the same, nor indeed anything like the frame he had been seeking after. Instead of its being a good frame of mind, he now found nothing but badness in himself and saw it was forever impossible for him to make himself any better. He was amazed he had never before seen that it was utterly impossible for him, by all his contrivances and endeavors, to do anything that way. Instead of imagining that God would be pleased with him for the sake of this frame of mind, he saw clearly it would be just with God to send him to eternal misery and that there was no goodness in what he then felt, for he could not help seeing that he was naked, sinful, and miserable, and there was nothing in such a sight to deserve God's love or pity. In this frame of mind he came to public worship this evening, and while I was inviting sinners to come to Christ, naked and empty, without any goodness of their own to recommend them to his acceptance, he thought that he had often tried to come and give up his heart to Christ, and he used to hope, that some time or other he should be able to do so. But now he was convinced he could not, and it seemed utterly vain for him ever to try any more. Nor did he now hope for a better opportunity hereafter, as he had formerly done, because he saw and was fully convinced his own strength would forever fail. While he was musing in this manner, he saw, he said with his heart, which is a common phrase among them, something that was unspeakably good and lovely, and what he had never seen before and this stole away his heart whether he would or no. He did not, he said, know what it was he saw. He did not say, this is Jesus Christ, but it was such glory and beauty as he never saw before. He did not now give away his heart so as he had formerly attempted to do, but it went away of itself after that glory he then discovered. He used to try to make a bargain with Christ, to give up his heart to him that he might have eternal life for it. But now he thought nothing about himself, but his mind was wholly taken up with the unspeakable excellency of what he then beheld. After some time, he was wonderfully pleased with the way of salvation by Christ, so that it seemed unspeakably better to be saved altogether by the mere free grace of God in Christ than to have any hand in saving himself. And the consequence is that he appears to retain a relish of divine things and to maintain a life of true religion. Lord's Day, January 26th. After public worship, I was in a sweet and solemn frame of mind, thankful to God that he had made me in some measure faithful in addressing precious souls. 
but grieved that I had been no more fervent in my work and tenderly affected towards all the world, longing that every sinner might be saved and could not have entertained any bitterness towards the worst enemy living. In the evening I rode to Elizabethtown. While riding I was almost constantly engaged in lifting up my heart to God, lest I should lose that sweet heavenly solemnity and composure of soul I enjoyed. Afterwards I was pleased to think that God reigneth, and thought I could never be uneasy with any of his dispensations, but must be entirely satisfied whatever trials he should cause me or his church to encounter. I never felt more divine serenity and composure of mind. I could freely have left the dearest earthly friend for the society of angels and spirits of just men made perfect. My affection soared aloft to the blessed author of every dear enjoyment. I viewed the emptiness and unsatisfactory nature of the most desirable earthly objects any further than God has seen in them, and longed for a life of spirituality and inward purity, without which I saw there could be no true pleasure. 28. The Indians in these parts, having in times past run themselves in debt by their excessive drinking, and some having taken the advantages of them and arrested sundry of them, whereby it was supposed their hunting lands might speedily be taken from them, I being sensible that they could not subsist together in these parts if these lands should drop out of their hands, thought it my duty to use my utmost endeavors to prevent it. And having acquainted the gentlemen concerned in this mission with the affair, they thought it proper to expend the money they had been collecting for the religious interest of the Indians, at least a part of it, for the discharging of their debts and securing these lands. And having received orders from them, I answered in behalf of the Indians, 82 pounds, 5 shillings, New Jersey currency. 31st. This day, the person I had engaged for a schoolmaster among the Indians arrived among us and was heartily welcomed by my people whereupon I distributed several dozen of primers among the children and young people. February 1st. My schoolmaster entered upon his business among the Indians. He has generally about 30 children and young persons in his school in the daytime, and about 15 married people in his evening school, the number of the latter sort of persons being less than it would be if they could be more constant at home. In the evening I catechized in my usual method. Towards the close of my discourse, a surprising power seemed to attend the word. One man, considerably in years, who had been a remarkable drunkard, a conjurer, and a murderer, that was awakened some months before, was now brought to great extremity, so that he trembled for hours together, and apprehended himself just dropping into hell, without any power to rescue or relieve himself. Diverse others appeared under great concern, as well as he, and solicitous to obtain a saving change. February 10th. He set out on a journey to visit the Forks of Delaware to visit the Indians there. He performed the journey under great weakness and sometimes was exercised with much pain. He arrived at his own house at the Forks on Friday. I baptized three persons, two adults and one child. There was a considerable melting in the assembly while I was administering the ordinance. God has been pleased to own and bless the administration of this, as well as of his other ordinances among the Indians. There are some here that have been powerfully awakened at seeing others baptized, and some that have obtained relief and comfort just in the season when this ordinance has been administered. Towards night I catechized. God made this a powerful season. There were many affected. Former convictions were powerfully revived. There was likewise one who had been a vile drunkard, remarkably awakened. He appeared to be in great anguish of soul, wept and trembled, and continued so to do till near midnight. There was also a poor, heavy-laden soul who had been long under spiritual distress that was now brought to a comfortable calm, and told me she now saw and felt it was right God should do with her as he pleased, and added that the heavy burden she had laid under was now removed, that she felt she could never do anything to save herself, but must perish forever if Christ did not do all for her. But Christ could save her, though she could do nothing to save herself. Lord's Day, February 16th. Knowing that diverse of the Indians in those parts were obstinately set against Christianity, I thought it proper to have some of my people from Crossweek Sung with me in order to converse with them, hoping it might be a means to convince them of the truth, to see and hear some of their own nation discoursing of divine things, and manifesting earnest desires that others might be brought out of heathenish darkness as themselves were. And having taken half a dozen of the most serious and knowing persons, I this day met with them and the Indians of this place. 
sundry of whom could not have been prevailed upon to attend the meeting had it not been for these indians that accompanied me and preached to them some of them who had in times past been extremely averse to christianity now behaved soberly though others laughed and mocked however the word of god fell with such weight and power that several seemed to be stunned and expressed a willingness to hear me again of these matters after public worship i spent some time to convince those that mocked of the truth and importance of what i had been insisting upon and i had reason to think that my endeavors took effect upon one of the worst of them those few indians then present who used to be my hearers in these parts some having removed from thence to crossweek sung seemed glad to see me again although they had been so much attacked by some of the opposing pagans that they were almost afraid to manifest their friendship in the evening i was in a composed frame of mind it was exceedingly refreshing to think that god had been with me affording me some good measure of assistance i found freedom in prayer for my dear friends and acquaintance blessed be the name of the lord that ever i am enabled to do anything for his interest and kingdom blessed be god who enables me to be faithful i enjoyed more resolution for god and more refreshment of spirits than i have been favored with for many weeks past february seventeenth i discoursed from acts chapter eight verses five through eight a divine influence seemed to attend the word sundry of the indians here appeared to be somewhat awakened and manifested a concern by their earnest attention tears and sobs my people from crossweek sung continued with them day and night repeating and inculcating the truths i had taught them and sometimes prayed and sung psalms among them discoursing with each other in their hearing of the great things god had done for them and for the indians from whence they came which seemed to take more effect upon them than when they directed their discourses immediately to them eighteenth i preached to an assembly of irish people near fifteen miles distant from the indians nineteenth i preached to the indians again after having spent a considerable time in conversing with them privately there appeared a great solemnity and some concern and affection among the indians belonging to these parts as well as a sweet melting among those who came with me diverse of the indians here seemed to have their prejudices removed and appeared well disposed to hear the word of god twentieth i preached to a small assembly of high dutch people who had seldom heard the gospel and were some of them at least very ignorant but diverse of them have lately been put upon an inquiry after the way of salvation they gave wonderful attention and some of them were much affected and afterwards said as i was informed that they never had been so much enlightened about the way of salvation in their whole lives before they requested me to tarry with them or come again and preach to them and it grieved me that i could not comply with their request for i could not but be affected with their circumstances they being as sheep not having a shepherd twenty-first i preached to a number of people many of them low dutch sundry of the forementioned high dutch attended the sermon though eight or ten miles distant from their houses diverse of the indians also belonging to these parts came of their own accord with my people from crossweeksong to the meeting two in particular who on the last sabbath opposed and ridiculed christianity twenty-second i preached to the indians they seemed more free from prejudice and more cordial to christianity than before and some appeared much affected my spirits were supported though my bodily strength was much wasted oh that god would be gracious to the souls of these poor indians god has been very gracious to me this week he has enabled me to preach every day and has given me some assistance and an encouraging prospect of success in almost every sermon blessed be his name diverse of the white people have been awakened this week sundry of the indians much cured of the prejudices and jealousies they had conceived against christianity and some seemed to be really awakened the next day he left the forks of delaware to return to crossweeksong and preached by the way every day excepting one and was several times greatly assisted he had much inward comfort and earnest longings to fill up his time with the service of god lord's day march second some of my people who went up to the forks of delaware with me being now returned were accompanied by two of the indians belonging to the forks who had promised me a speedy visit they can scarce go into a house now but they will meet with christian conversation whereby they may be both instructed and awakened i know of no assembly of christians where there seems to be so much of the presence of god where brotherly love so much prevails as in my own congregation although not more than nine months ago they were worshipping devils and dumb idols under the power of pagan darkness and superstition amazing change 
affected by nothing less than divine power and grace. Their present situation is so compact and commodious that they are quickly called together with only the sound of a conch shell, a shell like that of a periwinkle, so that they have frequent opportunities of attending religious exercises publicly, which seems to be a great means, under God, of keeping alive their impressions of divine things. March 6th. I walked alone in the evening and enjoyed comfort in prayer beyond what I have of late enjoyed. My soul rejoiced in my pilgrimage state. I was delighted with the thought of laboring and enduring hardness for God, and confided in God that He never would leave me nor forsake me to the end of my race. Oh, may I obtain mercy of God to be faithful to my dying moment. Eighth, I catechized in the evening. My people answered the questions proposed to them well. I can perceive their knowledge in religion increases daily, and what is still more desirable, the divine influence among them appears still to continue. The divine presence seemed to be in the assembly this evening. Some who are Christians, indeed, were melted with a sense of the divine goodness and their own barrenness and ingratitude. Convictions also appear to revive in several, so it might justly be called an evening of power. Lord's Day, March 9th. I preached from Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. The word of God was attended with energy. Numbers were affected and concerned to obtain the one thing needful. Several that have given good evidences of being truly gracious were much affected with a sense of their want of spirituality and saw the need they stood in of growing in grace. And most that had had any impression of divine things in times past now felt those impressions revived. In the afternoon, I proposed to have catechized in my usual method, but while we were engaged in the first prayer, in the Indian language as usual, a great part of the assembly was so much moved that I thought it proper to omit the questions and insist upon the most practical truths. There appeared to be a powerful influence in the congregation. Those truly pious were so deeply affected with a sense of their own barrenness and their own unworthy treatment of their blessed Redeemer that they looked on him as pierced by themselves and mourned, yea, some of them were in bitterness as for a firstborn. Some poor awakened sinners also appeared to be in anguish of soul to obtain an interest in Christ, so that there was a great mourning in the assembly, many heavy groans and tears, and one or two persons newly come among us were considerably awakened. After public worship, many came to my house, where we sung and discoursed, and the presence of God seemed here also to be in the midst of us. While we were singing, there was one, the woman mentioned in my journal of February 9th, who I may venture to say was filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory, and could not but burst forth in prayer and praises to God before us all, with many tears, crying, sometimes in English and sometimes in Indian, O blessed Lord, do come, do come. Oh, do take me away. Do let me die and go to Jesus Christ. I am afraid if I live, I shall sin again. Oh, do let me die now. Oh, dear Jesus, do come. I cannot stay. I cannot stay. Oh, how can I live in this world? Oh, let me never sin any more. In this ecstasy, she continued some time, uttering these and such like expressions incessantly. When she had a little recovered, I asked her if Christ was now sweet to her soul, whereupon, turning to me with tears in her eyes and with all the tokens of deep humility, she said, I have many times heard you speak of the goodness and the sweetness of Christ, that he was better than all the world. But, oh, I knew nothing what you meant. I never believed you. I never believed you. But now I know it is true. I answered, And do you see enough in Christ for the greatest of sinners? She replied, Oh, enough, enough, for all the sinners in the world, if they would but come. And when I asked her if she could not tell them of the goodness of Christ, turning herself about to some poor Christless souls who stood by and were much affected, she said, Oh, there is enough in Christ for you, if you would but come. Oh, strive, strive to give up your hearts to him. And upon hearing something of the glory of heaven mentioned, she again fell into the same ecstasy, repeating her former expressions. Oh, dear Lord, do let me go. Oh, what shall I do? What shall I do? I want to go to Christ. I cannot live. Oh, do let me die. She continued in this sweet frame for more than two hours before she was well able to get home. I am sensible there may be great joys where there is no substantial evidence of their being well grounded. 
but in the present case there seemed to be no evidence wanting in order to prove this joy to be divine, either in regard of its preparatives, attendance, or consequence. Of all the persons I have seen, I scarce ever saw one more bowed and broken under convictions of sin than this woman, nor scarce anyone who seemed to have a greater acquaintance with her own heart than she had. She would frequently complain to me of the hardness and rebellion of her heart, that her heart was not willing to come to Christ for salvation, but tried everywhere else for help. And as she was remarkably sensible of her stubbornness under conviction, so she appeared to be no less remarkably reconciled to divine grace before she obtained any relief. Since which she has constantly breathed the spirit and temper of a new creature, crying after Christ, though not through fear of hell as before, but with strong desires after him as her only satisfying portion, and has many times wept bitterly because she could not love him. When I have sometimes asked her why she appeared so sorrowful and whether it was because she was afraid of hell, she would answer, No, I be not distressed about that, but my heart is so wicked I cannot love Christ, and thereupon burst out into tears. But although this has been the habitual frame of her mind for several weeks, yet she never had any remarkable comfort till this evening. The attendants of this comfort were such as abundantly discovered that it was truly joy in the Holy Ghost. Now she viewed divine truths as living realities, and could say, I know these things are so, I feel they are true. Now her soul was resigned to the divine will in the most tender points, so that when I said to her, What if God should take away your husband from you? who was then sick. How do you think you could bear that? She replied, He belongs to God and not to me. He may do with him just what he pleases. Now she had the most tender sense of the evil of sin and discovered the utmost aversion to it. Now she could freely trust her all with God for time and eternity. And when I queried with her how she could be willing to die and leave her little infant and what she thought would become of it in case she should, she answered, God will take care of it. Now she appeared to have the most humbling sense of her own unworthiness and inability to preserve herself from sin and to persevere in holiness. And I thought I had never seen such an appearance of ecstasy and humility meeting in any one person. The consequence of this joy are no less desirable than its attendants. She since appears to be a most tender, broken-hearted, affectionate, devout, and humble Christian, as exemplary in life and conversation as any person in my congregation. March 10th. Toward night, the Indians met together of their own accord, and sang, prayed, and discoursed of divine things. At this time there was much affection among them. Some appeared to be melted with divine things, and some others seemed much concerned for their souls. I baptized the woman mentioned in my journal of last Lord's Day, who appeared to be in a devout, humble, and excellent frame of mind. My house being thronged with people in the evening, I spent the time with them, till my nature was almost spent. They are so unwearied in religious exercises and insatiable in their thirstings after Christian knowledge that I can sometimes scarce avoid laboring so as greatly to exhaust my strength and spirits. Nineteenth, some of the persons that went with me to the Forks of Delaware, having been detained there by the dangerous illness of one of their company, returned home this day, whereupon my people met together of their own accord to give thanks to God for his preserving goodness to those who had been absent from them for several weeks, and recovering mercy to him that had been sick. Lord's Day, March 23rd. There being about fifteen strangers, adult persons, come among us in the week past, diverse of whom had never been in any religious meeting till now, I thought it proper to discourse this day in a manner peculiarly suited to their circumstances, and accordingly attempted it from Hosea chapter 8 verse 9 in the forenoon, opening in the plainest manner I could, man's apostasy and ruined state, after having spoken some things respecting the being and perfections of God and his creation of man in a state of uprightness and happiness. In the afternoon I endeavored to open the glorious provision God has made for the redemption of apostate creatures. Near sunset, I felt an uncommon concern upon my mind, especially for the poor strangers. I visited sundry houses and discoursed with them severally, but without much appearance of success, till I came to a house where diverse of the strangers were, and there the word took effect, first upon some children, then upon diverse adult persons that had been somewhat awakened before, and afterwards upon several of the pagan strangers." I continued my discourse till almost every one in the house was melted into tears, and divers wept aloud, and appeared earnestly concerned to obtain an interest in Christ. Upon this, numbers soon gathered from all the houses round about, 
and so thronged the place that we were obliged to remove to the house where we usually meet for public worship. And the congregation gathered immediately, and many appearing remarkably affected, I discoursed some time from Luke chapter 19, verse 10, endeavoring to open the mercy, compassion, and concern of Christ for the lost, helpless, and undone sinners. There was much visible concern in the assembly, and I doubt not but a divine influence accompanied what was spoken to the hearts of many. There were five or six of the strangers, men and women, who appeared to be considerably awakened, and in particular one very rugged young man, who seemed as if nothing would move him, was now brought to tremble like the jailer, and weep for a long time. The pagans that were awakened seemed at once to put off their savage roughness and became sociable, orderly, and humane. When they first came, I exhorted my people to take pains with them, as they had done with other strangers from time to time, to instruct them in Christianity. But when some of them attempted it, the strangers would soon rise up and walk to other houses. Whereupon, some of the serious persons agreed to disperse themselves into the several parts of the settlement, so that wherever the strangers went, they met with warm addresses respecting their soul's concern. But now there was no need of using policy in order to get an opportunity of conversing with them, for they were so touched with a sense of their perishing state as tamely to yield to the closest addresses respecting their sin and misery, and their need of an acquaintance with the great Redeemer. Twenty-fourth, I numbered the Indians to see how many souls God had gathered together here since my coming, and found there was now about an hundred and thirty persons, old and young. And sundry of those that are my stated hearers, perhaps fifteen or twenty, were absent at this season. Whereas few were together at my first coming into these parts, the whole number not amounting to ten persons. My people going out this day to clear some of their lands above fifteen miles distant in order to their settling there together, where they might attend the public worship of God, have their children schooled, and at the same time have a conveniency for planting, I thought it proper to call them together and show them the duty of laboring with faithfulness and industry, and that they must not now be slothful in business, as they had ever been in their pagan state. And having given them directions for their work and recommended them to God, I dismissed them to their business. In the evening I read and expounded the substance of the third chapter of Acts. Numbers seemed to melt under the word. When I asked them afterwards whether they did not now feel that their hearts were wicked, one replied, yes, she felt it now. Although before she came here she had said her heart was not wicked and she never had done anything that was bad in her life. And this indeed seems to be the case with them universally in the pagan state. They seem to have no consciousness of sin and guilt unless they can charge themselves with some gross acts of sin. 25th. After the Indians were gone to their work, I got alone and poured out my soul to God, that he would smile upon these feeble beginnings, and that he would settle an Indian town that might be the mountain of holiness, and found my soul much refreshed and much enlarged in Zion's interest, and for numbers of dear friends in particular. My sinking spirits were revived, and I felt animated in the service God has called me to. This was the dearest hour I have enjoyed for many days, if not weeks. I found an encouraging hope that something would be done for God, and that God would use and help me in this work. And oh, how sweet were the thoughts of laboring for God when I had any hope that I ever should be successful. The next day, his schoolmaster was taken with a pleurisy, and he spent a great part of the remainder of his week in attending to him, which in his weak state was almost too much for him. He being obliged constantly to wait upon him all day from day to day, and to lie on the floor at night. His spirit sunk in a considerable degree, with his bodily strength under this burden. Twenty-ninth, in the evening I catechized as usual, treating upon the benefits which believers receive from Christ's death. The questions were answered with great readiness and propriety, and those who I have reason to think are the people of God were sweetly melted in general. There appeared such a liveliness and vigor in their attendance upon the word of God, and such eagerness to be made partakers of the benefits then mentioned, that they seemed to be not only looking for, but hastening to the coming of the day of God. Divine truth seemed to distill upon the audience with a gentle but melting efficacy, as the refreshing showers upon the new-mown grass. The assembly in general, as well as those who appear to be truly religious, were affected with an account of the blessedness of the godly at death, and most then discovered an affectionate inclination to cry, Let me die the death of the righteous. 31st. 
I called my people together as I had done the Monday before and discoursed to them again on the necessity of their laboring industriously in order to their living together and enjoying the means of grace. And having engaged in solemn prayer to God among them, I dismissed them to their work. Numbers of them, both men and women, offered themselves willingly to this service, and some appeared affectionately concerned that God might go with them and begin their little town for them, that by his blessing it might be a place comfortable for them and theirs in regard both of procuring the necessaries of life and of attending the worship of God. April 2nd. I was exercised with a spiritless frame of mind. Alas, my days pass away as the chaff. It is but little I do, or can do, that turns to any account, and it is my constant misery and burden that I am so fruitless in the vineyard of the Lord. Oh, that I were spirit, that I might be active for God. This, more than anything else, makes me long that this corruptible might put on incorruption, and this mortal put on immortality. God deliver me from clogs, fetters, and a body of death that impede my service for him. Fifth. After public worship, a number of my dear Christian Indians came to my house, with whom I felt a sweet union in my soul. My heart was knit to them, and I cannot say I have felt such a sweet and fervent love to the brethren for some time past, and I saw in them appearances of the same love. This gave me something of a view of the heavenly state, and particularly that part of the happiness of heaven which consists in the communion of saints. Lord's Day, 6th. I preached from Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. There were considerable effects of the word visible in the audience and earnest attention, a great solemnity, many tears and sighs. Diverse were put upon serious and close examination of their spiritual state by hearing that not every one that saith to Christ, Lord, Lord, shall enter into his kingdom. And some of them expressed fears lest they had deceived themselves and taken up a false hope because they had done so little of the will of his Father who is in heaven. There was also one man brought under pressing concern for his soul, which appeared more especially after his retirement from public worship. And that which, he says, gave him the greatest uneasiness was not so much any particular sin as that he had never done the will of God at all, and so had no claim to the kingdom of heaven. In the afternoon I opened to them the discipline of Christ in his church and the method in which offenders are to be dealt with at which time religious people were much affected, especially when they heard that the offender continuing obstinate must finally be esteemed as an heathen man that has no part nor lot among God's visible people. This they seem to have the most awful apprehensions of, a state of heathenism out of which they were so lately brought, appearing very dreadful to them. After public worship, I visited sundry houses to see how they spent the remainder of the Sabbath and to treat with them solemnly on the great concerns of their souls. And the Lord seemed to smile upon my endeavors and to make these particular addresses more effectual than my public discourses. Seventh, I discoursed to my people from 1 Corinthians chapter 11 verses 23 through 26 and endeavored to open to them the institution, nature, and ends of the Lord's Supper as well as the qualifications and preparations necessary to the right participation of that ordinance. Sundry persons appeared much affected with the love of Christ manifested in his making this provision for the comfort of his people, at a season when himself was just entering upon his sharpest sufferings. On Tuesday, he went to a meeting of the presbytery appointed at Elizabethtown. In his way thither he enjoyed some sweet meditations, but after he came there he was, as he expresses it, under an awful gloom that oppressed his mind. And this continued till Saturday evening when he began to have some relief. He spent the Sabbath at Staten Island, where he preached to an assembly of Dutch and English, and enjoyed considerable refreshment and comfort both in public and private. In the evening he returned to Elizabethtown. Fourteenth. My spirits were raised and refreshed and my mind composed so that I was in a comfortable frame of soul most of the day. In the evening my head was clear, my mind serene. I enjoyed sweetness in secret prayer and meditation. Oh, how free, how comfortable, cheerful and yet solemn do I feel when I am in a good measure freed from those damps and melancholy glooms that I often labor under. Fifteenth. 
My soul longed for more spirituality, and it was my burden that I could do no more for God. Oh, my barrenness is my daily affliction. Oh, how precious is time, and how it pains me to see it slide away, while I do so very little to any good purpose. Oh, that God would make me more fruitful and spiritual. Seventeenth. I enjoyed some comfort in prayer, some freedom in meditation, and composure in my studies. I spent some time in writing in the forenoon, and in the afternoon in conversation with several dear ministers. In the evening I preached from Psalm chapter 73, verse 28, but it is good for me to draw near to God. God helped me to feel the truth of my text both in the first prayer and in sermon. I was enabled to pour out my soul to God with great freedom, fervency, and affection, and to speak with tenderness, and yet with faithfulness, and divine truths seemed to fall with weight and influence upon the hearers. My heart was melted for the dear assembly, and I loved everybody in it, and scarce ever felt more love to immortal souls in my life. My soul cried, Oh, that the dear creatures might be saved! Oh, that God would have mercy on them! Lord's Day, 20th, footnote, This day he entered into the 29th year of his age, and footnote, I enjoyed some freedom and exercise of faith and prayer in the morning, especially when I came to pray for Zion. I was free from that gloomy discouragement that so often oppresses my mind, and my soul rejoiced in the hopes of Zion's prosperity and the enlargement of the dear kingdom of the great Redeemer. 21st. I was composed and comfortable most of the day, free from those gloomy damps that I am frequently exercised with, had freedom and comfort in prayer several times, especially for Zion's enlargement and prosperity. And oh, how refreshing were these hopes to my soul! Oh, that the kingdom of the dear Lord might come! April 22nd. My mind was remarkably free from melancholy damps and animated in my work. I found such fresh vigor and resolution in the service of God that the mountains seemed to become a plain before me. O blessed be God for an interval of refreshment and fervent resolution in my Lord's work. In the evening, my soul was refreshed in secret prayer, and my heart drawn out for divine blessings, especially for the Church of God and His interest among my own people, and for dear friends in remote places. Oh, that Zion might prosper, and precious souls be brought home to God. April 25th, having appointed the next Lord's Day for the administration of the Lord's Supper, this day was set apart for solemn fasting and prayer to implore the blessing of God upon our design of renewing our covenant with Him and with one another, and to entreat that His divine presence might be with us in our designed approach to His table. The solemnity was observed not only by those who proposed to communicate, but by the whole congregation. In the former part of the day, I endeavored to open to my people the nature of a fast and to instruct them in the duties of such a solemnity. In the afternoon, I insisted upon the special reasons there were for both our now engaging in these solemn exercises, both in regard of the need we stood in of divine assistance in order to a due preparation for the sacred ordinance and in respect of the manifest decline of God's work here as to the effectual conviction and conversion of sinners they are having been few of late deeply awakened out of a state of security. The worship of God was attended with great solemnity and reverence, with much tenderness and many tears, by the truly religious, and there was some appearance of divine power upon those who had been awakened some time before. After repeated prayer and attendance upon the word of God, I led them to a solemn renewal of their baptismal covenant, wherein they had explicitly and publicly given up themselves to God, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, avouching him to be their God, and at the same time renouncing their heathenish vanities, their idolatrous and superstitious practices, and solemnly engaging to take the word of God for the rule of their lives, promising to walk together in love, to watch over themselves and one another, to lead lives of seriousness and devotion, and to discharge the relative duties incumbent upon them. This solemn transaction was attended with much seriousness and at the same time with the utmost readiness and cheerfulness, and an union and harmony of soul seemed to crown the whole. In the evening I catechized those that were designed to partake of the Lord's Supper the next day upon the institution, nature, and end of that ordinance, and had abundant satisfaction respecting their knowledge. 
They likewise appeared in general to have an affecting sense of the solemnity of this sacred ordinance and to be humbled under a sense of their own unworthiness to approach to God in it and earnestly concerned that they may be duly prepared for an attendance upon it. Their hearts were full of love one toward another and that was the frame of mind they seemed much concerned to maintain and bring to the Lord's table with them. I administered the sacrament of the Lord's Supper to 23 persons of the Indians the number of men and women being nearly equal, diverse others, to the number of five or six, being now absent at the forks of Delaware. The ordinance was attended with great solemnity and with a most desirable tenderness and affection, and it was remarkable that in the performance of the sacramental actions, especially in the distribution of the bread, they seemed to be affected in a most lively manner, as if Christ had been really crucified before them. And the words of the institution, when repeated and enlarged upon, seem to be entertained with the same full and firm belief and affectionate engagement of soul, as if the Lord Jesus Christ himself had personally spoken to them. Having rested some time after the administration of the sacrament, I walked from house to house and conversed particularly with most of the communicants, and found they had been almost universally refreshed at the Lord's table, as with new wine. And never did I see such an appearance of Christian love among any people in all my life. It was so remarkable that one might well have cried with an agreeable surprise, Behold how they love one another. Toward night I discoursed on Titus chapter 2 verse 14 and insisted on the immediate design of Christ's death, viz., that he might redeem his people from all iniquity. This appeared to be a season of divine power. The religious people were much refreshed and seemed remarkably tender and affectionate, full of love, joy, peace, and desires of being completely redeemed from all iniquity, so that some of them afterwards told me they had never felt the like before. Convictions also appeared to be revived in many instances, and diverse persons were awakened whom I had never observed under any religious impressions before. Such was the influence which attended our assembly that it seemed grievous to conclude the public worship. And the congregation, when dismissed, although it was then almost dark, appeared loath to leave the place that had been rendered so dear to them by the benefits enjoyed, while that quickening influence distilled upon them. End of chapter 7, part 3